If you pay attention to anything regularly, you're going to see like certain themes repeated, right? So, for example, just easy example. If you've been paying attention over the last several weeks, maybe the last couple months, uh, to political news, if you heard about classified uh, documents in a garage or in a safe in someone's home once, you've heard about it a thousand times. And you've heard one commentator talk about it. Sometimes commentators talk about other commentators' commentary on that same thing. This thing has gotten repeated over and over in a variety of different ways. But same thing. If you're, if you're just paying attention to sporting news, if you heard about Patrick Mahomes' high ankle sprain once, You've heard about it a thousand times this week. Is he going to play? How effective will he be? What will the pass game look like? Can he work out of the pocket? And it's commentators talking to other commentators, sometimes commenting on another commentator's commentary, all about Patrick Mahomes and his high ankle sprain. Which, by the way, he will play, and they will lose. Um, which guarantees it they're going to win, because I've never made a right prediction from this stage. Um, uh, and, and let me just go with one more, just for fun. If you heard about Christian McCaffrey and his right bruised calf, and if he will play, you heard it a thousand times, and he will play, and they will win. I really want that one, right? Like, everybody wants that one. Okay. Okay, no, D George and I differ on everything sports, I think, right? Um, okay, so, so, but here's the thing. Things get repeated over and over and it doesn't take long to pick up on it. They just, it's like they're playing the same melody, just in a different key, depending on what show or what analyst you're watching. Now, here's the thing. This same thing happens in the Bible. If you pay attention to the Bible long enough, you're going to see the same themes getting repeated, like a melody played in different keys, and you begin to pick up on the tune, and you begin to see it played in all these different ways from all of these different uh, uh, variations and all these variations, and you begin to see it from all these different angles, and it just enriches the picture. Well, that thing is happening today as we move into our next psalm, because we're doing this long study through the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 20 this morning. So if you want to turn there, you can be there with me. We're going to take a bit of a journey to get to Psalm 20. Psalm 20 is a royal psalm. It is a psalm about the king of Israel. And what we've already noticed in our short time in the book of Psalms is that this theme, this theme, this theme of the royal psalm, this theme of the king of Israel, it's already started to come up. It's a melody we've already heard playing We've just heard it played in some different keys. The whole book of Psalms starts starts with Psalm 1. And right after Psalm 1, this, this picture of a person who, who studies God's Word day and night like a tree planted by streams of water, who, which yields fruit in season, that kind of person. Right after Psalm 1, we, get in, we got into Psalm 2. And we see that that man fundamentally is the king of Israel. Do you remember that Psalm 2, I mean, the whole book of Psalms is launching with Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 2 is about the kings of the world. The kings of the world have rebelled against God. They said, we're doing it our way. And then God responds, if you remember, in Psalm 2. God responds like this. Psalm 2, verse 4 through 6. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. 
The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. You know how God responds to the rebellious kings of the world? He establishes his anointed one on his throne. And through his anointed one, he will destroy all his enemies. And in the end, what we find out at the end of Psalm 2, is that in the end, the world will worship. Is called to worship the anointed one. Who we all know the Father, the God of Israel, will call his son. Just check out how Psalm 2 ends. It ends here, verse 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, for he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 is this big declaration, this big picture view that the way that God is going to work in this world, the way he's going to fix what is wrong is he will send his anointed one, the perfect king of Israel. He will come and destroy all of his enemies. This king is the hope of the world. That's Psalm 2, this massive royal psalm. It sets in motion a melody that we're just going to keep hearing throughout the book of Psalms. And it's going to run all the way into the New Testament. Just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at another major royal psalm. This comes from the pen of David. David here, he writes this really long prayer to God, this psalm, this royal psalm. And in it, you remember, David is crying out, saying, God, help me. I am in distress. My enemies surround me. And by the end of the psalm, what we see right near the end is that God gives David his king, the king of Israel, David, God gives David, his anointed one, great victories. Check it out. Just, this, is how we, this is how David, this is what David starts to write right near the end of the psalm. He writes, you have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of nations. People, did not, uh, people I did not know now serve me. That's the kind of deliverance we're reading about in Psalm 2. Which is why, no surprise, David ends the psalm with verse 50 here. Psalm 1850. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. Every one of these royal psalms, the ones we've already looked at, uh, Psalm 2 and 18, and the ones we're going to see into the future, all of them have this same theme running through them. They are about the special relationship that the God of Israel has with the King of Israel, His anointed. That's, that's the theme that runs through them. Psalm 2, big picture, God literally sending into the world His anointed, who He will call His Son to destroy His enemies and establish His throne forever. Psalm 18 is this very personal view of what that looked like in the life of David as God delivers him from his enemies and declares great victories for the king. Both about the special relationship God has with the king of Israel. Psalm 20 has that same theme running through it. But this time it comes from a different angle. You might say it's played in a different key. It's the same melody. This time what we're going to see is not... A big picture view of what will happen in the world when God sends his king. We're not going to hear the voice of the king himself crying to God. In Psalm 20, David pens a song that the people sing to the king. So this is a very, from, a, from a different perspective. 
It's the song of the people singing about their king. So check it out. Psalm 20. Psalm 20 will just, these nine verses, we'll read the whole thing and then break it down. And I'm telling you, there's some application for your life and mine right here today. May the Lord, starts verse 1, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary, grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices except your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers them from his heavenly sanctuary, from the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. A song of the people to their king. And you already see the overlap between Psalm 18 and now Psalm 20. In Psalm 18, remember, David's crying out. David the king crying out in distress. God deliver me. Now what we see in Psalm 20, the same king in distress, but the people are praying on his behalf. And so if we just had those first few verses, check it out. It's right here. Here's how I want to just, we'll just take a big, big overview of what the people are asking for. They're asking God hear the prayers of the king. They're asking, protect him. Send him help and support. And would you, God, accept his sacrifices of worship? The, all those things are right there in those first several verses. The people asking all of this of their king. In the end, the people are confident God will answer. It's actually summarized. like that. All those requests get summarized at the end of verse 5. So I've highlighted it right here. Check this out. So here's, the, here's verse 5. And the, the last part before it transitions into verse 6 is, may the Lord grant all your requests. So, now, you wouldn't want to say that to me. If you don't want to say that to me. You don't want to say, God give you everything you want. I don't always want what God wants. Like, don't give me everything I want. That'd be really bad if God gave me what I wanted. But for this king, the people are confident that this king, this king wants what God wants. And so the people say, this is a king who prays. This is a king who worships. Oh God, give this king everything he's asking for. Give the king all his requests because we know the king wants what you want. The king wants victories over God's enemies. Give the king what he wants because we know the king has your heart. And the people are confident God's going to give the victory. God will give the victory to this anointed one. And here's the thing. They're so confident. They're so confident that God will give victory to the king because the king wants what God wants. They're so confident that if you gave the people a choice, do you, ha do, do you get a big military or do you get the name of the Lord? The people are so confident that God will give the victory, they say, give us the name of the Lord. Like, we'll take God over the tanks. Now, that's not, typically, that's not typically the way the human heart works. We want human strength, not God's strength. We want to make sure that we've got it all under control, and then God can step in if we need a little extra help. But the people, 
the people who have so resonated with their king, they say, if we have to choose, we will take the name of the Lord over the chariots and the horses. I just want you to see it. We've already read it. But sometimes it's good to do, to put something on repeat. Here's verse 7 through 9. Check it out. Just hear the people again. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They they are brought to their knees and they fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Now that verse 7 right there, that's the inspirational verse, right? Like that's the one, that's the one we pick up on. That's the one that you like put in beautiful script and put it, put it right in front of a beautiful sunset and you post it on Facebook and everyone gives you likes and comments. It's like, man, everyone's inspired. Like that's the verse, verse 7. This is, one of the, this is one of the great verses of the whole book of Psalms right here. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Like put that one on your refrigerator. That'll make you feel good every time. And I'm not taking away from the power of verse 7. But verse 7 is not the core of that psalm. Their trust isn't somehow just some generic trust that God takes care of us. Their trust is in their king. Their trust is that God is working through his anointed one and God will establish victory through the king. And that is a very important thing to notice. Let me summarize it this way. I've tried to just boil it down to this. Nope, nope, there we go. I've got to give you a runway for the next one. Just, just stay there. The hope and the faith of the people are tied up with the life of their king, God's anointed one. The king's victory is their victory. When they think about their life with God, it is intimately tied to the the king, God's anointed. They don't have a victory without their king's victory. His victory is their victory. And that is a very important thing to notice. That's what these royal psalms do. Because what what Psalm 20 does for us is it doesn't point us ultimately to David. Because you know what I know about David. David died. David was buried and his body has decayed. He was not the hope of the people. Jesus is the king that this psalm points to. He's the one who ultimately was granted full victory over sin and death. And that means that his victory becomes the victory of his people. These royal psalms always point to Jesus. Now, there's one commentator who said it really well. This is a, this is a comment on, ver, uh, on Psalm 20, but it applies to all the royal psalms. Check this out. Here's what he says. The royal psalms to the future, a point to the future, from the... Uh, from, to, to, sorry, I, I forgot the word point. It really just threw me off. Uh, The royal psalms point to the future shoot from the stump of Jesse, a divinely empowered ruler who would accomplish what none of the historical kings had ever done. The Messiah would defeat God's enemies decisively and establish God's direct rule over all the earth. So Psalm 20 is what all the royal psalms are going to do. They're going to point us to Jesus. His destiny is our destiny. His life becomes our life. His foundation better be our foundation. And here's the thing. When the king came into the world, 
the perfect king, the anointed one of Israel, the one that we've been looking for since the promises were made, when that king came into the world, he said just that. He talked about being connected to him as the only way to life. Now, I just got three examples, but I want you to see this. I want you to see how Jesus talks. Here in Psalm 20, the people connect their hope, their faith, their life to the king. When the king shows up on earth, he says, if you want every good thing, if you want life, if you want a foundation, you better get connected to me. Check this out. Matthew 7. I've just got three scriptures. Matthew 7. Verse 24 through 27. You'll know it, I'm sure. Therefore, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Well, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house. It fell and crash. You want a good life? You want a life... You want a life that's stable and can never be shaken? You better get connected to the king. If you're not connected to the king, you're building your life on sand. Like Jesus, literally here, it's or nothing. Like that's what you get. You get rock or sand. There's one rock and lots of sand. Like this is the king doing exactly what we'd expect the king to do. You, if you want true life, you've got to get connected to me. My life will become your life. Here's what it says in Matthew 11. Another thing Jesus says, Matthew 11, 28-29, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble heart. You will find rest for your souls. Who in our anxious world does not want rest for your soul? You ever felt, do you feel tired this week? Is you weary of soul? There's one place Jesus says to go. You've got to go get connected to the king. Like, that's it. Like, he says, come to me. It's not, it's not go to the latest podcast or the newest study. You go to Jesus. Like that, like, it's very clear here. You come to me if you're weary. You're tired. You come to me. All right. One more. This is probably as clear as it's going to get. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're not, you're not going through a university you're not going through Muhammad. You're not going through a Hindu God. You're not going through Mormonism. You're not going through a Jehovah's Witness. You're going through Jesus, fully God, fully man. That's the way you get to, G to, to, you get to God. You go through the anointed one. That's it. Like, that's the answer. We are an exclusive people. And we get it from our King. Our life is connected to His life. His victory becomes our victory. You don't get any other victory but through Him. Now here's what's so cool. If Jesus wasn't enough, let me quote one more. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. Look how this one lands. From the inspired words of the Apostle Paul, Paul writes this. When the imperishable, well, it's been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. Well, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? And where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And you know what Christ means? It means anointed one. Thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through the anointed one. This is Jesus. Psalm 2, the whole book of Psalms launches out with the promise that God would one day deal with human rebellion by sending an anointed one, establishing His throne, and He would destroy all of His enemies and bring justice to the world. That has started through Christ, and it will be finished with Christ. David, in Psalm 18, cries out, God, help me, I'm in distress. God answers him, saves him, and David declares, God gives his anointed one great victories. But David eventually died. There was another king coming. Psalm 20, the people figure it out, and they sing, and they identify They connect their whole life up with the King. And as Christians, that's exactly what this whole thing is about. You and I find our life in Jesus and Jesus alone. We are a people who are trained to sing like Psalm 20. Like Psalm 20 becomes our example. We sing declaring our identity is with Him. First and foremost, like, I'm about Him, I'm about His victory, because His victory is my victory. That's what this whole Christian thing is about. Like, that's Psalm 20. That's a pretty cool psalm. There's not many like this psalm from this perspective where we see the voice of the people. Now, here's, some, here, here's where we've got to like bring it down to where we live. Now, I have two questions. Don't put them up yet. Because there's one big caveat. Because I know it's coming. I know the reaction. I can see it. I know it's coming right here. It's right here. Mark, it's coming from you. It's, I gotta, I gotta just, I'm gonna lay the groundwork. I'm, this is, I could have asked this question multiple different ways. I'm asking it, I'm asking one question two ways with one team. This does not jinx our season. I promise you, we have a chance. I'm not ruining it. Nothing else. It's the off season, and if anything, it go. It's retroactive. For those of you that've been here for a while, you understand what just happened. I'll explain in a second. So we're going to do a little bit of serious, a little bit of a, a little bit of comic relief, and then I'm coming with some serious. Here we go. Here's the question: Do I identify with Jesus above everything else? Here's the other way I can ask it. Do people know me as a Braves fan, uh, more as a Braves fan than as a Christian? It has, we have been known here at East 10th for me to reference the Braves, to make predictions that never come true. The season I made no predictions, we won. The other seasons I, I referenced them, we lost. I know, I'm just, gonna, I'm just telling you, this reference to the Braves does not ruin I'm just not going to say anything else. He doesn't ruin anything. I thought about it because I knew Mark would be here. Now, you see, the seriousness of all this is, what do people, like, when they look at you and me, what do they see? Like, are you, are you the teacher? Are, are you, like, the professional? Are you the fan of whatever sports team? Like, are you the parent of... Is your reputation, like, are you the heavy drinker? Are you the angry person? Like, what, like, do people look at you and see something besides Jesus? Like, that's the thing. Like, if my life is supposed to be so identified with Jesus, then I really got to go, then do people look at me the way I want to be viewed? 
And honestly, I think people probably look at all of us and they don't always see Jesus. They see us more concerned about a lot of other different things. Seriously, like sometimes we get so caught up in politics that when people look at us, they see us as Fox News or CNN or Democrat or Republican. Like literally, like we get so invested in that, that that's how people identify us. Because that's what we like, that's what's come out of us. Or we get so invested in sports, or we get so invested in our family, or we get so invested in our work, that when people think about us, like, that's who you are. The challenge of Psalm 20 is that no one should ever look at you and see anything more important than Jesus. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying we got to be holy rollers. I, I don't even know if that's the right word here. I hope that wasn't derogatory. Um, what I'm trying to get at is, I, I, I'm not saying that we have to, like, you have to be super spiritual and all you do is talk about Jesus. Like, literally. Like, don't be that annoying person either. Like, you can be a normal person who talks about all kinds of things in ordinary life. Like, it doesn't have to be like, how's, how's your day going? Oh, Jesus is the king of the universe. I hope you know Jesus. Have you been baptized? Like, I mean, it's like, no, I just want to know how your day was. Like, we didn't, you didn't have to convert me. It's really, it's okay. Like, don't, you don't have to be that. And I'm not saying you don't, we don't witness to people. I'm just saying, like, you can talk about all kinds of other things in life. But seriously, like, what we think about and what we pay attention to and what we value most, it will come out of us. And we will give our attention to it. And people will catch on. Because your life and my life are contagious. And they will pick up what is most important to us. So the challenge of Psalm 20 to me, like, is... Like, is Jesus really the most important one in my life? Now, you know I'm a preacher, so everyone assumes Jesus is the most important person in my life. But no, like, I struggle with this like you struggle with this. I don't always think about Jesus. He's not always at the forefront of my mind. He doesn't have to be necessarily at the forefront of my mind. i got to do normal activity in life. But what is driving my decisions? What's shaping how I act? That, for me, is how I started to work this out. Because I was thinking, what, like, how does this get down to where I live, like, the rest of Sunday? And where I think it lands for us is that I think we have to live lives that get quite uncomfortable at times. Because we're living counter to the way that our flesh and the world tells us to live. So here's where I, this is kind of, I want to, like, land the plane on this next step. I think this is the way that we, we can at least begin training to be a people that identify more with the king than anything else. Here's one thing I think we can do. Here's the next step I think we can do. Do something every day that only makes sense because you're a Christian. Okay. So, like, by default, you're not generous. We're not taught to be generous. So maybe if you're a stingy person, be generous this week. Like, it only makes sense because you're a Christian to be generous. The world tells you, look at everything you want to look at. Whatever you want to look at, you go look at it. You go click on it. Sometimes that's very inappropriate stuff. But the Christian, we are called to be holy with our eyes. So maybe this week you're like, I'm not looking at that. And that makes no sense because it feels good. It looks good. And uh, the world says it's perfectly normal. I can be me. Me. I'll do me. But as a Christian, you say, no, I'm not doing it. And you say, no, 
Like, I, I don't know what it is for you, but do something that feels uncomfortable and doesn't make sense. And the only reason it makes sense is because it's the way of Christ. So whatever that is for you. I'll mention one more. I've mentioned it several times, but it's just kind of the world I live in. In the world, we are trained to always have the last word. Because in the world, we're trained, we're always right. Maybe the thing you need to do this week, I love watching spouses look at each other. I'm so sorry. I wish you could see what I see. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, Dalton, you, you can't, Dalton and Teresa, you cannot, like, I know you're going to have to shut them down, Teresa. you got to shut that down. I know. Okay. Um, like, say no to having the last word and trust that God will take care of things. That's a tough one. That makes no sense unless you believe the king's in control, right? So just something every day this week that only makes sense because you're a Christian. You know what I also do? It'll make you cognizant. It'll make you aware that you're a Christian. So you have to live a certain way because your loyalty is to the king. And so your life is shaped by the king, not by your desires. So do something that doesn't make sense. And it only makes sense because you're a Christian. You've identified with the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it shapes us. It convicts us. It gets under our skin. It, it, it forces us into a place of repentance. And Holy Spirit, would you please move us in those places that we would identify so clearly with the great king, Jesus, the anointed one. His victory, our victory. His life, our life. His foundation, our foundation. We need a lot of help with this. But help us. Help us as we become a people like Psalm 20 that identify and sing our lives connected to life, to the King. We pray it through Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And together we say, Amen.